to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. Welcome listeners of the Unrepresentable Podcast and Nick, welcome to my humble abode yet again. Ah, uh, it's lovely as always, Rob, to be back. This is a it's very early in the morning for me. Earlier than I would usually get up, but <laughs> it, fe- it feels good. It feels well, really you, good. You beat me to my own house this morning, yeah. so I'm a keen bean. I went, early for me as well. Went down to uh, Mary Street Highgate. Great location. Um, got the original coffee. Mary Street, mate. The OG Mary, and we've been through this before. One of the great <laughs> Mary Streets. Well, I've got actually a problem now that you mentioned that. I think I'm addicted to Mary Street coffee so much. Just so Mary Street coffee or yeah, coffee? Okay. Just Mary Street coffee because I used to, like, I'm a coffee drinker. I used to, and maybe probably a coffee snob, I used to go around and be like, yeah, I like this coffee, don't like this coffee. My problem now is if it's not Mary Street coffee, I'm like, I don't like it. Damn. So Surely there's some places that do good coffee outside of Mary Street. See, I, I know this to be true. That must be true, right? Yeah. But I taste it. And I think, yeah, it's it's fine, but it's not good like Mary Street coffee. I see. I see. I don't know this and thus I don't like it. Exactly. So they've sold me on something. I don't know. Maybe it's the light, the light blue cups. Maybe they sprinkle a little bit of cocaine or like meth. Maybe. Maybe. I just mean, to keep bringing you back. <laughs> maybe, Rob, honestly, because, yeah, they've sold me. I'm, I'm a slave to Mary Street. <laughs> right. That's good. And, and you will say that on a public forum as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Although this morning, I got a flat white, as you know, Rob, my standard coffee order. Of course. Way too much foam on my flat white. Oh, that really no. annoys me when they put way too much foam. Because, like, it's a flat white for a reason, right? Flat, you know? Yeah. Well, you should just say, Matt, hold the foam or less foam, please. Yeah, but I the thing is, Rob, I hate social interaction, so I'm never going to actually do that. I just say thank you and smile. That is a great call. Empty on the inside. Yeah. I've done that a few times where, like, clearly it's been misheard, and I'm like, this is just not worth it for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. God, we our generation kind of sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But that's okay. At least we didn't ruin the planet like baby boomers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've done, we, for sure we have our faults, but uh, I don't think they're as in bigger scope as uh, some of our previous generations, Rob. So at least we have that. Uh, yeah, and thus, yet, anyway. and thus we are the best generation. Says every generation ever. Claiming it now on this podcast. Yeah. Sorry if we have any baby boomer listeners. I I don't think we do. My dad listens. I I apologize. I apologize to Paul Gray. You didn't ruin the planet, dad. Yeah, no. For sure not. Just made it better. The leaders of your time did. Uh, What are we going to talk about today, Rob? Alrighty. So we're going to talk... First of all, we're going to talk about some news. Bit, Bit of stuff going on. As you may know. Some things. And then we're going to talk about the Capitol Hill incident one year on, how divided is the US, that kind of business. And then, Nick, you're going to talk about a bit of uh, budgeting and economics. Yeah, just dispel a few myths in the, the budgeting economic sphere. Yeah, but before we get into any of that, Rob, we've got to launch into some news. What's, what's on the news today? This is the, the Djokovic scandal, Rob. Yeah. Uh, no vax, Joe COVID. <laughs> hey, little behind the scenes. We had a whole bit on this last episode, but they had to get cut out. 
Yeah. Because by the time I was editing it, the story had moved a million miles away from where it was when we were talking about it. And thus, we just didn't talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Thus, I was like, fuck it. Delete. Better to miss it all. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. And people are probably like, oh, they didn't talk about the Djokovic thing. Because it, it made headlines, Rob. But, you know, here's why it made headlines. Because the headlines before that were ScoMo refuses to subsidize rat tests. And ScoMo, having you know, a, a background in marketing, as we've gone into in depth in the podcast before, saw this and was like, hmm, I think I can. this is a way to change the headlines. So he uh, heroically, I'm putting that in italics, decided to reverse the position of the Victorian government and the Tennis Australia thing and not let him in. But I, it's not really that heroic, Rob. I think they should have sorted this out in the first place. I I don't think this reflects well in ScoMo, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no. Well, it seemed like that's kind of the reaction a lot of people had. Initially, everyone was like, ha-ha, uh, no vax man gets let in. Including us as well. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone's like, wait, wait a second. This ain't right. Why did, why did he even get allowed in in the first place if we were just going to say no? And again, it's it comes down to the fundamental issue of this government, Nick. Of they just fucking only care about their public image. Yeah. They never govern. Yeah, they're reactionary, right? Yeah, and it is only about their image. And there's a legal battle, I think, to be heard today, Rob, about um, whether or not that cancellation of his visa was legal. Yeah, and in true unrepresentative school podcast fashion, it's probably going to come out before I edit this, but after we're talking right now. And that's the great thing about the Unrepresented School podcast. You get news that's just not quite up to date with us. <laughs> yeah, we're not like the ABC. We can't just like do it live or you know have a quick edit turnaround. Well, maybe maybe we might be doing a live podcast one day. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, Rob. Keep it under wraps. Keep it under, <laughs> you don't get too, too excited, Rob. Uh, just a little sneak behind the curtain there. Yeah, and I see you here, uh, Rob. You've added a point from that Guardian article that we both saw, which came out last week when this Djokovic story was really big about how people are talking about Djokovic in detention in a hotel room. There are asylum seekers offshore who've been in detention for nine years, say. Yeah. And I'm sure they would be very good citizens and would happily get as many vaxxers as you want them to get. Yeah. Uh, whereas this guy is a dickhead, in short. Shocker. Yeah, absolutely. Star tennis player is a dickhead. I, I, I don't want to talk about that dickhead anymore, Yeah, really. no, agreed. More COVID stuff in... Australia, Who would have thought? Queensland delays opening schools up for a couple of weeks. Why would anything be different in a couple of weeks? Yeah, interesting policy. Maybe they know something that, that we don't. It's fucking getting out of control, really. Yeah, well, we were talking, you know, just see last week's podcast, basically. We were talking about that point where the health system can't really cope anymore, how that would really be really bad. Maybe we're getting close to that point, Rob. I don't know. Things do seem bad. Victoria started to include um, at-home rat tests in their case numbers. That's why we saw them jump up to 51,000 on Saturday. But that it did include some from earlier in the week from rat tests that weren't included. And uh, New South Wales still refuses to include rat test numbers in their official numbers. So the numbers are higher than, than what they're being reported as, basically. Yeah, essentially. What do you think, Nick, about that rat test stuff? Um, I look, does it really matter at this point anymore? It's like we've been saying before, case numbers aren't the most important number anymore. Unless um, you're a worker, uh, press, press, press. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, the, the important number in terms of like trying to manage the whole outbreak is like hospitalizations and deaths and all that sort of thing. 
so I think you need to have enough supply of rat tests, um, which is something we're working on as a country. But yeah, does it really matter? I, why, why don't they include it, to be honest, is my thoughts. Well, I don't know why they yeah. would refuse to. Is it maybe just a bit harder? I don't know. Oh, maybe it's also just like, um, you know, you want your cases to be a bit lower. Is that <laughs> a cynical way of looking at it? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Perrottet is probably taking any kind of advantage any he can get. Any yeah. Because he, he was forced to introduce some new restrictions last week. So not elective surgery suspended in New South Wales following in the footsteps of Victoria. And singing and dancing has been banned. And yet, imagine, imagine if this was the Labor government. They're trying to ban dancing. <laughs> They're trying to take away your, your, your Christmas <laughs> and your singing and dancing. Yeah, damn. It's, it's, why are they phrasing it like that now? Remember when McGowan, the restrictions here is like, yeah, no dancing. Yeah. That was just a classic joke at work we had. We would just start dancing at work and someone would be like, illegal dancing. <laughs> Tackle them. Um, yeah, but Perrottet can't really maintain his hardline anti-lockdown stance, can he? Anti-restriction stance. Yeah. When it's as out of control as it is. But yeah, I don't know what to make of all this, Nick. Yeah. And, and read something we spoke about last week as well. Now official government policy that asymptomatic workers in critical food manufacturing industries can attend work if they're positive, but asymptomatic. They just have to have PPE and daily rat tests as well. Okay. So, yeah, this is this is the type of policy, I guess, that is living with COVID and these restrictions. Yeah. I wonder, you know, when the Omicron variant uh, goes away and the new variant comes around, which will presumably be more transmissible and weaker in, in terms of death, deadliness, if it's just going to be like, okay, let them run, boys. Like, don't worry about it too much, right? Yeah. I, I don't, the thing is... It's so it's always just like a it's it's like an equilibrium like a balance because the more transmissible it is obviously the more people are going to get it so that kind of negates or counteracts the benefit of the less severe virus or the virus being less severe because more people have it yeah so I think you're starting to see now the seven day average of deaths approach the same as it was during the Delta outbreak in New South Wales last year so I think we're going to get to a point where it will be the same. And then hopefully we won't get to a point where it'll be greater. And then we're going to go for another lockdown, right? I, <laughs> oh God, no, right? I don't think they'll ever do that again. But what else? Maybe they'll get to a point where they're like, what else can we do? I don't know. Well, the interesting thing is it's getting introduced again in like European countries. And I think it's just like no longer politically viable because in Australia, we just for the longest time went for the elimination strategy rather than suppression. And people are just fucking sick of them. So it's going to be really hard. Like they're kind of forced down the route of, uh, you know, freedom only. They can't lock down anymore pretty much. It's one of those classic things in Australian politics, I guess, Rob, where a policy has been kind of ruined because, uh, yeah, not necessarily because of the merits of that policy, but just because people are over it and it's been used by political parties as a, a political tool to try and disparage the other side. So maybe... Well, maybe what'll happen is we'll have very strong restrictions, but people will refuse to use the L word lockdown. Ah, I see. Um, I'm thinking, you know, re emissions trading scheme, price on carbon kind of thing. <laughs> Who knows though, Rob? The mask mandate lift in WA, that's what, we haven't covered that. That's cool, I guess. I, did I don't not have to wear a mask that. when I go to work. Same. I, I bought online like three new masks because I was like, this mask mandate's, let's be honest, not going to lift in WA. Day after mandate lifted what 
You'll need it by the fifth, mate. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by sure. the way, get get your booster shots. I'm booked in for the fifth. I I'm, I'm booked in on the seventh. Yet to book in. Yeah. All sorry. right. Yeah, yeah. You better book yourself in, son. All right. I'm sorry. I'm getting Pfizer, and it's the day that I start um, my intensive for law. Oh, so good. that's a great. I hope I don't get any side effects. I heard. I heard the third Pfizer is terrible. Yeah, good. Good. <laughs> I'll just I actually through. haven't heard that. I just wanted to make you scared. <laughs> I'm just a COVID warrior. You know, I was on the front line getting AstraZeneca. I'll be on the front line getting my booster right before the hard work starts. You're right. Okay. I see how it is. Yeah. But, you know, see last week's episode about our confusion with WA's COVID policy. I, I keep seeing all this stuff about how well, I saw last week the head of the nurses union did a survey of all the nurses asking whether or not they thought the health system was ready for Omicron. And the survey turned, uh, the, I think most people said no. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Concerning. But what a weird way to, like they are just asked all the nurses their opinions. Yeah, unusual way of doing it. Not I don't exactly want to the, the nurses here, but like do they have a macro view of the whole health system just as one person? Yeah, not the most data-driven way of doing it. No, it's really not. And all these unions get... Especially in the healthcare thing, it gets very political, Rob. It's like the AMA, you know. Yeah, hard to say, really. I don't know, Nick. What do you think? <laughs> I think McGowan honestly will move the date back. We'll move the opening date back. Wow, really? Yeah, because like, you, you know, I think there's a lot of public pressure from annoying people who are like, you know, oh, the numbers that that strategy was formulated on are based on Delta, not Omicron. We don't want the health system to collapse. Yeah, maybe there's merit to that, Rob. I don't know. I, we, we don't have the data here, right? I just... And I think at this point, at least I am motivated by a bit of a bias being like, I just want things to open up in WA. I want the borders to open up. Yeah. Well, Nick, I think the political pressures to open up on the time that he said, and he's said multiple times that ain't moving, will be too much regardless of data. He's going to open up. Interesting. Uh, maybe we'll make a, a, a gentleman's barter, Rob. A gentleman's bet. Oh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see who's right. Or we could do a gentleman's barter. I barter one pig. <laughs> I don't know why I said barter. <laughs> and you can give me uh, three slabs of gold. All right. Deal. <laughs> Greatest deal ever. You must have read out of the deal, Rob. Yeah, of course. Do you want to talk about the US? I talk guess? Talk to me about the US, Rob. Yeah, so some of you may know, a year ago, some people kind of stormed the Capitol building and tried to overturn a democratic election. This what didn't happen in Zimbabwe or Botswana or some country where you assume democracy is a little bit flawed, Democratic Republic Congo, for example. But no, it happened in the oldest democracy in the world, yeah. the United States of goddamn gosh-free America. <laughs> God-fearing America. <laughs> And, you know, a year on, we're seeing Biden discuss it. And increasingly, I'm noticing his language is getting less and less bipartisan. Yeah. Well, he was his first year, Rob, and his campaign as well. His language was very much and his message were focused around healing the division in that country and unifying the Republican and Democrat uh, voter bases. And that language, I think you can see has changed, especially with that speech he gave on that last week on the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. Uh, I think people noticed that he openly acknowledged 
how bad the division is in the US and he made um, calls basically to uh, stop people normalizing political violence. So that's, I think, a, a different tone that we're seeing in Biden now. It is certainly different. I think it's also kind of the first time we've seen him like really go after Trump for this whole thing. And by the way, while we're on the topic, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump too much because uh, we'd spent the last four years talking about him too much. But he's not like backing away from these rights at all. He's he's doing everything but support them. Yeah. And keep in mind, the vi- rights where five people were killed. So, obviously, for what it means in st- you know, storming a democratic institution, that's really bad. Also, it got five people killed, which is terrible. Um, yeah. And, yeah, he continues to double down on it. He really is a corrupt, evil old guy, isn't he? He really is. And so um, all the Republicans that support him. Well, now he he is the arch-Republican still, you know? A lot of us thought that maybe this would be the end of crazy Republican and but return to fiscally conservative kind of John McCain Republican well, style. Yeah, well, no, you know, John McCain would be awesome. Even a Bush-style Republican, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I'd take Dick Cheney at this point. Yeah, yeah. At least they didn't openly condone political violence. But no, it seems that uh, this is the new Republican Party and this means that a lot of Americans, Nick, maybe 70 million odd, think that the election in 2020 was rigged, which is very, very, very concerning yeah. for a democracy. It just seems like something that won't go just go away by itself, right? No, and I can't see how it does go away uh, as things stand right now. Yeah, and funny that you mentioned Cheney as well, Rob. Um, Cheney's daughter, um, what was her name? Elizabeth Cheney, I think, is was one of the last few Republicans fighting against the Trump influence on the Republican Party. And she's lost that battle basically over the past year. Uh, she was openly you know, acknowledging that the election wasn't rigged and that the Republican Party should stand for democratic ideals and you know the idea of America. But uh, she has been beaten by the Republican, the Trump influence. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see much more come from within the Republican Party anytime soon. Uh, yeah, so that's really concerning, Nick. Um, and also these political divides are increasingly going, you know, going upon ethnicity, religion, class, which means that there's going to be much less discourse surrounding this because people don't understand each other as much on this topic, which is really concerning. And you're seeing more and more the idea of a civil war becoming mainstream. Yeah, not just like a fantasy in the US. This is something that I hadn't really thought of before, but there was an interesting Guardian article about uh, how that has become more mainstream in US media. The idea of a civil war isn't that crazy? It is crazy, and it's actually getting, you know, it's it's no longer just like weird guys on the internet dreaming about it and queuing on people. It's like former CIA advisors and uh, academic Barbara F. Walter. He's published a book talking about political instability in the US. And he's saying, like, uh, yeah, like, civil war's clearly becoming not a possibility, probably, but in the next best thing. The fact that people are even considering it. I, I wonder, Rob, what um, uh, what it would look like if you did um, a Google search trends um, you search, yeah. you know, where you see what people have been Googling over time. And if you Google something like civil war, I'm sure you would see a worrying trend there. I'll, I'll um, I'll 
throw that up on our Instagram. Yeah, yeah, do a bit of research. Unless it unless it's not doesn't show. Unless a trend, it, yeah, of course. Then we'll cut everything. Out. <laughs> Delete it all. Uh, yeah, really scary though, right, Rob? I what, what do you think the merits are of actual a real civil war? I I highly highly doubt it. I think just the power of the U.S. military is too much at this point. And I you know there's no. You know, I, I don't think a, a general or any kind of part of the military would ever side with you know, a non-government part in, in the event yeah. of a civil war, right? I, the, the power is so concentrated in, in Washington these days. Exactly. Well, that, that's how the first civil war happened is the US military was still kind of uh, struggling from the independence war and uh, just being a really young nation in general that a militia was able to become powerful enough to create a civil war. You yeah. just no way some fucking QAnon guys wearing helmets are ever going to be more powerful than the might of the US military. Yeah, so so you, you know, maybe not you wouldn't characterize anything as a civil war. What what maybe is maybe more likely is armed insurrection, um just people with guns rising up and you know, of course that is that would be terrible, really bad for the economy, society, yeah. dangerous to people's well, lives. Luckily, the US has very strong gun policies and it would be very oh, difficult yeah. to get, get your hands on a gun if you were <laughs> a crazy Republican. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's concerning because one thing the US military has proved over the last 50 years is they really struggle with guerrilla warfare and terrorism. That's true. And yeah, they spent so much time looking at terrorism coming from places like the Middle East. Not as much time looking at homegrown terrorism, Rob. Yeah, good old-fashioned homegrown terrorism. Yeah, the best kind. It's a little sweeter than the uh, Middle Eastern style, but it's still just as deadly. Rob, what what will happen, do you think? Do you think Trump won? Do you think Trump will run in 2024? Um, two, what will happen, do you think, if he loses? He'll. I think it's almost a certainty he'll run. Do you think so? I think maybe he he might think that he's too old or might not want to do it. And he'll basically get a proxy candidate and he'll just throw his support behind that person and Trump yeah. will basically have a lot of influence on that person if they get into the White House. Well, that, yeah, that, regardless, it's dangerous for America, really. And if they lose, I can see another Capitol Hill incident happen. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, if it happened again, you'd worry that it would increase in scale. It would get more violent. And in many ways, they were very lucky, actually, on January 6th in 2021 because a lot of the staff and actual Congress people as well were evacuated before um, the protest or the rioters got into um, the yeah. actual chamber. It's also, they were very lucky that everyone there was a little bit uh, special, let's say, uh, and filmed themselves yeah. whilst committing a crime, which, you know, I'm no, I'm no criminal, but... Probably not the smartest idea. <laughs> I'm no criminal, but not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, very, really, really scary stuff, Rob. I mean, what what can Biden do to try and heal this division? I think it's very hard. I think what I've said before is you just... My idea is just, I think, just pump money into the most une, uh, unequal um, in terms of wealth parts of the country. Because, like, my personal hunch is just that a lot of these problems stem from wealth inequality. Um, yeah. Like you're fundamentally. So I just think they need to... But Nick, here's the, state the thing. system, right? Does the democratic machine actually want to do that? Because I think the democratic machine just wants to give money to Facebook and, you know, new age technologies, right? Yeah. Well, the system is flawed, isn't it? 
yeah, the system is self-serving and I can't stop thinking about don't look up here. But, you know, there's the there's them, the the evil rich and the cool rich in the Republican Party that look out for the poor people, allegedly, of course. Yeah. Um, it's all the rich, though. It's all the rich and they're all looking after them themselves. The rich themselves, looking after the rich, right? yeah, yeah. And nowhere so, is that worse in America. Uh, yeah, so I, look, as, as much as I hate it, I can understand, I guess, how people are so uh, pissed off in that country and angry at politics and why someone like a Trump is their saviour to that. Yeah. Because he comes in and he's not a politician. Yeah, he's a figurehead. Um, even though he's rich, did stuff for rich people. It's really bad, isn't it, Rob? It's terrible, Nick. I'm getting depressed. Yeah, let's not talk about move it. On. Who cares let's, about that country? Let's move on, Rob. I, honestly, I thought COVID was depressing. Jesus. <laughs> I want to, Rob, talk about some some myths in, uh, in, in modern budgeting and economics, right? Yeah, Nick, I'm very interested to hear this as well. Because for the longest time, I think we might have been the first uh, mainstream public news or organization <laughs> that's ever said yeah. this. I, I Dead agree. Dead ain't bad. Yeah, and yeah, I guess that makes us kind of modern monetary theorists, Rob. Maybe we started <laughs> this shit. Of course. Uh, and I'm taking these ideas. Uh, yeah, this is called modern monetary theory, basically, where these ideas come from. Um, and I'm taking the ideas from a book called The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton, US economist. Really interesting stuff, but obviously there are many, many people who believe in MMT, as it's called. But we've talked about it before, Rob, how government budgets are absolutely nothing like household budgets. Um, yes. And I thought I understood that, it before, Nick? though, but I I did not understand it uh, to the extent that this book outlines it. And it's a very interesting book. So many critical ways, right, Rob? The most important difference is the one I'll highlight here. Governments are currency issuers um, and they have something called monetary sovereignty, which households do not. So it means the government can always create more money and only the government can create, can create money. Okay. So if the government needs I'm to following. pay shit, they just create money. Real, re- real simple. They just make money, right? And governments now do this electronically. Obviously, we still print physical currency, but the most common thing that happens is that it's just done electronically at the Reserve Bank, right? Big myth is that we use taxpayer dollars to buy shit, right? And that makes sense if you're thinking about it from a household budget perspective. Government taxes people like you and me, Rob gets that money, oh, now we have that money to spend on this public infrastructure project. They, they tax people like you and me, but not rich mining com- corporations. Yeah, yeah, no. Of course. Obviously not. <laughs> Crazy? Of course not. <laughs> That's not actually how it works, Rob. Okay. Really not. And it's actually bad to think about it that way. So next time you guys get pulled over by a policeman, don't tell them that you pay the wages. No, no. Not no. only because it, that's really annoying, <laughs> uh, but also because it's false. Nick. Just don't get pulled over in the first place. <laughs> this is actually the great tip. But yeah, no, it's, it doesn't work that way at all. Um, when, a, say, a government department gets authorization to spend money, uh, what happens is the Reserve Bank will just credit their account and just create more money, like we've said before, electronically. It's not like you transfer taxpayer money from one account to the other, right? Taxpayer money just basically disappears. It's not the actual dollars that the government needs. It's the demand for their currency. Yeah. And because they they have monetary sovereignty, like we talked about before, they can just delete money, add new money whenever they want. Of course. 
And that's how they have control over the economy, right? And using that idea, it really dispels some ideas about government debt. And one thing I'll say right now, Rob, is we could, as a as Australia could right now, because we have monetary sovereignty, delete all debt right now because we just create new money. So we could remove all of our debt right now. Yep. And that would, some people say that would be actually fine depending on your level of debt as a country, that it probably wouldn't have too big an impact on the economy as a whole. The reason why we have debt at all is because government bonds, which is how we, you know, the, the thing we do when we create government debt are actually really useful financial assets to give um, to like the, the economy, right? Yeah. Very stable assets. So when we spend money that is what we call a deficit that isn't matched by credits to the government, we create government debt and we issue a bond. Not because we need to, because that's just a, a thing that we do. And it also allows us to have influence over the cash rate and stuff. Okay. But we could pay it all off immediately if we wanted to. If we wanted to, Nick. We could pay it off immediately. The, the fundamental constraint on our economy, Rob, is the real resources we have in the economy. So things like capital, labor, natural resources... We just want to be using those as efficiently as possible. And if you start to use those to an unsustainable level, what you'll get is inflation in an economy. So inflation is the real constraint on the economy. That's why you can't just keep creating heaps and heaps and heaps of money. If you do that too much, what you'll have is inflation. Yep. See Zimbabwe, see Weimar Republic, see Hungary in the 1930s. Exactly. There you go. History man Rob. Basically, the thing that MMT theorists want to get across is that, especially pre-COVID, they want to highlight the government has basically been mismanaging the economy because inflation has been very, very, very low and we haven't been using the full extent of our economy to as much as we could be. And that's just missed opportunity. Basically, they're saying we need to have spent more and the fact that we haven't is just missed opportunities and it's contributed to all this stuff like wealth inequality the fragility of our public services, things like health and education, because it's all got lost in this political game of uh, deficit spending, budgetary myths, right? Yeah. And it's just a true, true fallacy that a surplus is good, that you need to match uh, spending with taxing. Just completely, as we've outlined before, you know, the tax money doesn't go towards the spending. That's not how it works. You don't need to match spending with taxing. Okay. I follow. I I think I follow Nick. I I worry that a lot of our listeners might not be able to. That's yeah. It's fair enough. But I know. I I must say <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of this stuff, you know, Stephanie Kelton does a much better job at going through it than I do. So I encourage if anyone's interested to read that book. It, she really does. You don't need a background in economics to understand it. She really does step you through it. Okay. I'd I'd like that book, Nick. If you have it, give it to me. <laughs> I have it in digital audio form. Oh, Stephanie wow. Kelton has a nice voice. I'll put it out there. Righto. That says a lot about you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's. I think that's enough economics for one day, Rob. I think we've got to wrap it up there. I don't want yeah, to no. scare people away. I promise all our listeners that we're not this strange, usually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can make that promise. Well, as the marketer that Nick of this podcast i demand that you do make that promise <laughs> okay scotty from marketing i submit to you of course of course if you want to see how good i am at marketing 
Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at Swill on the first three and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I will see you back next week. Hopefully, our um, schedule is going back to normal as well. We've Hopefully. Going a bit out of whack with the new year and yeah. stuff. Apologies. That should be entirely my fault. No, no, no. It should be every Monday. So, see you next Great. Monday. See you next Monday.